this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with kind permission of the Worcester News, and recorded today on Monday the 14th of September. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor of this edition. I think it's nearly seven months since I was last sat in this chair, and obviously quite a lot has happened since that time. The new restrictions also mean that we are only able to have two readers for each edition. So along with me is Catherine Neal. Hello there. And on the other side of the glass, safely distancing himself, is our sound recording engineer, John Plush. Carol Hartle, as ever, is on copying and admin, and we thank her. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and to all our faithful ones out there. We hope you enjoy our recording. We'll include a useful list of numbers, but I'm afraid there's no point doing on what's on in the local theatres. There will be headline stories from the last eight newspapers, some general news stories, a tiny bit of sport, thought for the week, and the birthdays. And of course, if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we'll add you to the file so we can make a nice happy birthday personally for you. I'm sure you're all familiar now with the arrangements that the obituaries do still happen, but they are now done at the very end of the recording. So if you want to listen to them, do stay on and wait until after the music. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. And there may be an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. And listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. Uh, All our recordings are now available on podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. And finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So we'll start this week with the telephone numbers. And the first one is the police non-emergency is 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765 765. Samaritans is a free phone number 116 123. And just in case there is anything on at the theatres that you might want to find out about, the phone numbers there is 01905-611-427. So we'll start the headline stories this week. Catherine's going to kick us off and we will give you the date from uh, the paper from which the story has come on each occasion. All right. So the first story is from Saturday, September the 5th. An agitated man wielded a machete and screamed, I'll cut off your heads, in Worcester, because he believed someone was sleeping with his mum. Thomas Allen kicked a door in Leckhampton Close in Worcester as he waved the large bladed weapon while accusing someone of sleeping with his mother. The defendant was later brought to the ground by armed police and arrested. 
The 36-year-old of Cranham Drive, Warnden, Worcester, admitted possession of the large knife when he appeared over video link at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said the incident happened at 9pm on July the 27th this year. The defendant, previously a resident at St Paul's Hostel, was described as clearly agitated when he kicked a door and withdrew a machete, shouting threats against people in the house and suggesting that one person had slept with his mother. He was shouting he was going to cut people's heads off and cut people up, said Mr Brotherton. The defendant was arrested by firearms officers and shouted, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm willing to kill. Alan was taken to the ground and restrained by police. Neil Skinner, defending, said someone had stolen his medication and that made him angry. He wanted his medication back. He accepts he went there and had the knife with him. He should not have done. Mr Skinner said his client, who's been in custody, wanted to be released from prison so he could continue to make the strides he'd been making. He wants to try and get his life back on track, said Mr Skinner. When the defendant listed the medication he was taking, the judge, recorder David Mason QC, described it as a proper medical chest. Alan said he was not sure who had stolen his meds and added, it just went wrong that night. When recorder Mason said he was minded to impose a two-month prison term, the prosecutor drew his attention to the Section 28 minimum sentence for a second strike knife possession. That's six months in prison. However, Recorder Mason said, bearing in mind the fact that Mr Allen is making very good progress on his community order imposed as long ago as February and doesn't expire until next February, and the particular reason why he managed to get himself involved with this, I think it's unjust to activate the minimum term in this case. The judge said, although Allen had a shocking record, the probation service appeared to be working with him to sort his life out. We have previously reported how Alan, who has battled drug addiction, has both physical and mental health problems and is on a range of medications because of kidney failure. Recorder Mason revoked the community sentence, but Alan will remain in contact with the probation service via post-sentence supervision, which will run until October next year. He added, Please don't breach your licence. If you do, it's going to get worse and worse for you. You're getting to an age where you need to go straight, don't you? The judge ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the machete. Because of time on remand, the sentence will mean Alan is released immediately. I, for one, don't want to see you back here again, said Recorder Mason. The defendant replied, thank you, I understand. The headline from Monday, September the 7th, Neighbour from Hell Handed Order A neighbour from hell has been banned from making a nuisance of himself after shouting, swearing and causing criminal damage. Shane Jones of Beltex Drive near Whittington Road, Worcester, was made subject to a criminal behaviour order at Worcester Magistrates Court following repeated antisocial behaviour. The CBO, which was made for two years, contains several prohibitions which the 35-year-old must obey or risk ending up in jail. Jones is prohibited from behaving in any way at his home address or within a dwelling that disturbs neighbours or causes alarm, harassment or distress for residents nearby or shouting and swearing in an aggressive manner towards others. 
the CBO was made on the conviction for offences of criminal damage to the property he lives in belonging to Platform Housing in Beltex Drive and obstructing police, both committed on February the 3rd this year. A spokesman for the Community Problem Solving Hub, part of West Mercia Police, said Antisocial behaviour in Worcester and elsewhere in West Mercia won't be tolerated and we will take every step to give communities peace of mind after a series of criminal behaviour orders were also made last month protecting people from these nuisance repeat offenders. We reported last week on a rogues gallery of offenders made subject to criminal behaviour orders. Nathan Fox, 29, of McIntyre Road, St John's, Worcester, was made subject to a two-year CBO on July the 27th this year. Nicola Racy Cother, 54, of Sedgebarrow, Evesham, was made subject to a two-year CBO on August the 14th this year. Meanwhile, a three-year CBO was made against Paul Baker, 46, of Swan Lane, Upton Warren, on August the 20th. And meanwhile, recovering drug addict Tracy Wilson, 42, of Thornhill Road, Handsworth, Birmingham, breached her CBO three times by entering Broad Street, Worcester, on three separate occasions. She was fined £50 by magistrates last Monday, but as she had limited funds and large court debts, £2,335, she was made to wait on the court landing until the end of the court day as a punishment. Thank you, Pippa. So this is the main story for Tuesday, September the 8th. And the headline is a £500,000 boost from Eat Out discount. More than half a million pounds has been claimed by bars and restaurants in the city through last month's Eat Out to Help Out discount scheme. A total of 126,000 discounted meals were claimed for in Worcester throughout the month as part of the government scheme which offered half-price food and drinks to diners. The amount of meals means just under 100 bars, pubs, cafes and restaurants in the city have claimed back £562,000. Many businesses in the city welcomed the scheme, which ended on August the 31st, and called for it to continue. Belgian beer cafe Triple B in Copenhagen Street saw some of its busiest days of trading since opening last year, according to owner Craig Finn, who said the scheme had worked very well. I think it's worked well for us, he said, although it was a lot of hard work. It shifted a bit of trade around. We had some quieter days towards the end of the week and at the weekend because of the scheme, but overall it generated new customers for us. We had a lot of people coming to us that wouldn't normally have come to us, and we've seen some repeat trade, which is good for us. There seems to be a move towards people going out in the week rather than the weekend, and I think that trend will continue for the rest of the year. So we might not see as many people at the start of the week as we did in August with the scheme, but more than we would have without it. A few people are wary about weekends because of crowds, and I think people are preferring to go out in the week when it's perhaps a bit quieter. The change for us is that we will continue to open on a Monday when usually we would be closed and we'll stay open as long as it remains fruitful to do so. Eat Out to Help Out entitled diners to receive up to 50% off food and non-alcoholic drinks up to a maximum of £10 per person every Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday 
throughout August. More than 100 independent and chain restaurants, cafes, bars and pubs around Worcester signed up to the scheme. Worcester MP Robin Walker said it's been a huge success story. I visited some of the businesses in Worcester City Centre and I think what was interesting to me is that it has helped, obviously, the businesses to which it was targeted, the pubs and the restaurants and so on. Also, the small shops have said that it's helped them as it's got people out and about, and it has got people out and about during the week rather than just the usually busy weekend. Generally, a lot of the businesses I spoke with were understanding of the fact it had to be time-limited, but actually appreciative that it was an intervention that came at the right time. Some city restaurants, including Bodega in Fourgate Street, Masala Lounge in Broad Street, Browns at the Quay in Key Street, The Swan in New Street, are all carrying on offering discounts throughout September. Some chain restaurants such as Pizza Hut, Harvester, Slug and Lettuce and Stonehouse Pizza and Carvery are also extending deals. A total of 490,000 meals were claimed throughout Worcestershire during the scheme. Around £2.6 million was claimed in discounts in Worcestershire, with an average of of saving of £5.50 per meal. The headline for Wednesday, September the 9th. Boy racers make our lives hellish. Residents near a main road say they're being plagued by boy racers who make their lives hell and leave them in constant fear. One woman decided to speak out after her husband was knocked down by one of the vehicles at the organised meet on Kidderminster Road in Droitwich. She said, We've been plagued by organised racing meets for several years. Almost every weekend, over 50 cars congregate outside Big Bear Plastics and the island by DFS. Then a select few cars race between the two islands. The noise is horrendous, screeching, revving and backfiring. You can hear it across the whole town. They wake residents up that need to work, children, dogs and disturb the peace. In all honesty, they're making our lives hell. The resident told the Worcester News the most recent car meets were on Friday and again on Saturday. She continued, When there were two meets in the space of three days, my husband and I decided we'd had enough. My partner works shifts and needs to sleep in the evening. The noise means he's having two hours sleep and then going to work. It's ruining our lives. So he went to confront them. One of them drove past my husband and ended up knocking him to the floor. He has a mark on his head and arm. It was really scary. We're all really scared. There have been threats and repercussions from the group. People have put nails in the road outside our home and cars have been vandalised. We feel so powerless. Residents say they've made multiple calls to the police about the meetups, but don't feel they're taken seriously. We call the police every time the racers come back, but it takes at times up to an hour for them to respond due to staffing. The police then arrive with blue lights on, the lookouts report back, and the meet scatters, no one is arrested, no cars are seized, and the perpetrators organise the next meet. I've been to the police, the local councillors, and the Safer Road Partnership, We don't know what else to do. We just want our community to be safe again. Worcestershire Local Policing Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan said, We are aware of the concerns from our community over the periodic antisocial driving within the area. 
our Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood team is working with our specialist road policing unit and multi-agency partners in actively seeking a solution to address the concerns of the community. I would also like to discourage members of the public from watching from the side of the roads to avoid any potential dangers to themselves. You have seen signs on the roadside and our social media posts relating to Operation SNAP. Operation SNAP is a national police response to driving offences submitted via video by members of the public. You can submit your footage via this link, https slash slash gosafe.org slash FAQ slash operation dash snap slash. People can also call police on 101. All right. This is the main story for Thursday, September the 10th. Residents are struggling to book a coronavirus test online, even if they're showing symptoms, despite the Worcester Testing Centre being open and very quiet, prompting a councillor and former NHS worker to accuse the government of failing in its response to the pandemic. Yesterday, a Worcester news reporter tried to book a test through the government's website after reports of issues with the online service, but he could not get a date or venue. Before he started, he was given this message. If you have coronavirus symptoms, you need to get a test done as soon as possible. You need to get the test done in the first five days of having symptoms. He then completed a questionnaire stating he had a Worcestershire postcode, displayed displayed potential symptoms of the deadly virus and had access to a car. A message at the end of the questionnaire stated... This service is currently very busy. More tests should be available later. If you cannot book a test now, or the location or time are not convenient, try again in a few hours. Do not call the helplines. You will not be able to get a test this way. There was no option to even travel outside of the county for testing, and he got the same result when he tried again two hours later. However, when the same reporter visited the testing centre outside Six Ways Stadium yesterday afternoon to see whether the site was closed, the facility was operating but very quiet, with only two drivers passing through for a test in the space of 30 minutes. Samantha Charles, a Malvern Hills district councillor who worked for the NHS for 20 years and is now a sexual offences forensic medical examiner, said... As a counsellor, parent and key healthcare worker, I call on the government to take responsibility for the failure of their response to the COVID-19 pandemic. People with symptoms who can't get a test can't go to work, their children can't go to school and whole year groups are being sent home across the country only a week after schools are reopening. They've had six months to create a robust, publicly run test, track and trace system before lifting lockdown and reopening schools. The failure is wholly theirs. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, we're aware that some residents are struggling to book a test for COVID in the local area. Worcestershire is having the same difficulties as other parts of the country. There is also a national issue in accessing home testing kits. If you have COVID-19 symptoms and are unable to arrange a test, please don't give up, keep trying, and in the meantime, it is really important that you still self-isolate for 10 days from the first day of your symptoms. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said, NHS Test and Trace is working. 
Our capacity is the highest it has ever been, and our laboratories are processing more than a million tests a week. We're seeing a significant demand for tests, but if you have symptoms, we urge you to get tested. New booking slots and home testing kits are made available daily, and you can help protect yourself if you wash your hands, cover your face, and make space. We're targeting testing capacity at the areas that need it most, including those where there's an outbreak, as well as prioritising at-risk groups. And we recently announced new laboratory facilities and new technology to process results even faster. Headline for Friday, September the 11th. Amazon Warehouse rejected by Council. Worcestershire County Council has admitted it prevented online retail giant Amazon from opening a huge distribution warehouse at the Worcester 6 Business Park off the M5 motorway. The admission came during a full council meeting on Thursday, September the 10th, when Cabinet member Councillor Ken Pollock said Amazon had asked the council for permission to open at the flagship business park only for it to be turned down potentially stopping hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs becoming available in the city. During the meeting yesterday, Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure at the Council, said, I don't know that it is a secret, but on the other hand, it is worth remarking on the fact that they, Amazon, had approached us about Worcester 6 and they wanted to put in a really big shed and it would have been of the nature of low-tech jobs, probably some of them zero hours and things of that nature, and we turned them down. On the other hand, they have come forward with a much smaller and more regional operation at Redditch Gateway, and our agent, Stoford, have accepted that, and we have also, as a board, accepted that it is a reasonable development. County Councillor Richard Udall said it was a disgusting decision to prevent hundreds if not thousands of potential jobs coming to the city. He said, To put it bluntly, I would imagine that lots of people would be shocked to find that we have an opportunity to have the world's largest retailer come to our city and the council said no. This was an opportunity to bring lots and lots of local jobs for people who are now suffering and struggling due to COVID. It is an opportunity that we've clearly missed. I think we need to have a thorough explanation as to the reasons why this happened and a public apology to the people who've been denied jobs. Right, and here's um, the story from Saturday, September the 12th, which is another testing story. Covid testing farce has left us in limbo. Families and workers in Worcester say they've been left in limbo because they can't get coronavirus tests as the online booking system continues to fail to offer appointments to the city's residents. One family has had to keep both children home from school because they can't get tests to show they don't have COVID-19, while a man has been unable to return to work at a dairy factory because he's been unable to book a test via the government website. Meanwhile, pupils were sent home from two county schools yesterday after children tested positive for coronavirus. Visiting has been suspended at community hospitals this weekend due to a rise in cases locally and stricter lockdown measures are being enforced in Birmingham. And I'm just going to read one of the following stories because that very short introduction then leads on to a number of uh, anecdotal stories. So here's one about the family's anger at shambolic sight. 
A family was told they would have to drive 470 miles to get a Covid test after being unable to book an appointment in the city. Frustrated dad, Keith Dickon, made several attempts to book a coronavirus test for his seven-year-old son, Thomas, who had woken up for school with a temperature and sore throat, only to find he would be forced to travel to Scotland or Wales to get one. After waiting for hours in front of the computer and several more failed attempts to book a test in Worcester, Mr Dickon was told the nearest testing facility would be around 470 miles away in Inverness if he fancied the nine-hour drive. Mr Dickon, from Lower Wick in Worcester, tried to get a test at the drive through facility at Six Ways, but was turned away and told to book online. The dad of two then had to bite the bullet and book the day off work to drive his family to Powys in Wales for the prized test. It has been an absolute nightmare, he said. My son had a temperature and runny nose on Tuesday morning when he was getting ready to go to school, so we phoned the school who told us to go and get him tested. I tried all morning to book a test and couldn't get one, so I booked some time off work and drove to Six Ways, where I was told it had to be done online. I managed to book a place in Powys in Wales, which is at least 60 miles away. We ended up all getting tested, but the results came back inconclusive. My daughter was supposed to start school on Friday, but she won't be allowed in until my son has his results back. Mr Dickon was unimpressed with the booking system for tests, which not only gave him locations hundreds of miles away, but regularly showed slots available that vanished when you went to book them. The other problem is, when you go to book a test, the website will say there are 20 or 30 slots available. But when you go on to it, there's nothing to book, no time slots at all, he added. We're now stuck in a position where we can't send our children to school because even though they're perfectly well and happy and playing, we just don't have the test to back up the fact that they're COVID-free. We'll need to leave it at least two weeks if we can't get a test. It's very frustrating. Mr Dickens said problems were compounded when he visited the test centres in Worcester and Wales to find that they were not working at full capacity, despite the nightmare he'd endured trying to find a single time slot. It might just be my perception, but when I went to the testing centre at Six Ways, it didn't seem that busy, he said. There were seven tents set up in a row, and if they had two cars sat there, then that was probably about it. I don't think the test sites are being used to their full ability. When we went to Wales, there were only two cars there, including ourselves, in spite of having four car parking spaces. I just think it could be done much more efficiently, and they could make more spaces available and expand it a bit more so we can get more places in Worcester. I also think the website shouldn't be displaying places when it doesn't have those spaces available. It should be more robust. It really is shambolic. There have been problems with booking coronavirus tests in Worcester in recent weeks. Um, And then there's a sort of recap of what we've already been reading. I think that's a feature of the papers at the moment, that there's quite a lot of repeated stories going on. Finally, the headline for Monday, September the 14th, which is today's paper. And the headline is Killer Beat Woman 70. A killer who once kicked a dad to death in a row over money was back in court for an attack on a 70-year-old woman and for cutting grass with a pair of scissors in front of a police officer. Carl Hardwick, who has a conviction for manslaughter, appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday over video link from HMP Hewell for a series of strange and violent incidents in Worcester 
including cutting grass with a pair of scissors in Chedworth Drive, Warnden. The 37-year-old of no fixed abode was due to be sentenced for the offence of assault occasioning actual bodily harm at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 18th this year and for a string of offences in April this year. The April offences include battery against a 70-year-old woman, ABH against another woman, using violence to enter premises, the woman's flat, and criminal damage. At the same hearing, he admitted having an article with a blade, or a point, on September the 22nd last year, a pair of scissors, in Chedworth Drive, Warnden, Worcester. Simon Birch, prosecuting, said, It's clear there's some peculiar features of the offence, not least the bladed article, which are scissors used by the defendant to cut grass in the presence of the officer. Hardwick was sentenced to 22 weeks in prison at Worcester Magistrates Court last January after making threats which breached his criminal behaviour order and a suspended sentence he was given in September 2017 for assaulting police constable Deborah Manson in the execution of her duty. Judge Nicholas Cole said of the new charges, These are offences which, taken together, cross the custody threshold. The defendant has a significant antecedent history, including an offence of manslaughter when he was aged 17. Sam Lambsdale, defending, said her client had been anxious to be sentenced, but she had now taken further instructions that his mental health had deteriorated again while in custody. She applied to adjourn the case for a further psychiatric report to see whether the doctor recommends a Section 37 or 41 hospital order. There have also been discussions about Hardwick being assessed to see if he suffers from schizophrenia and treated on Ward 2 at HMP Birmingham. However, the defendant is now in HMP Hewell and was never transferred to the ward for an assessment while an inmate at Birmingham. The solicitor said he'd been admitted to the mental health unit at Worcester on five separate occasions in just 18 months. Judge Cole agreed to adjourn the case for a further report to see whether there is a diagnosis of schizophrenia because of features of psychosis and hallucinations. He ordered the report to be prepared for November the 6th and set the sentencing date for November the 13th. The defendant was remanded in custody. So that concludes the headline stories for the last uh, eight days and Catherine and I will now carry on and read some of the more general news stories, one of which concerns the fire that took place at the Hive uh, recently and this is an article telling everyone that the Hive is now open. So, the Hive in Worcester is now reopened following a fire in the kitchens of the cafe last week. The cafe is still closed and the ground level windows have been blocked out and boarded up, but the library is now open to the public. Councillor Lucy Hodges, Cabinet Member for Communities at Worcestershire County Council, said, I want to say a big thank you to everyone involved in the huge clear up after the fire we had at the Hive on Thursday night. It's amazing that we only had to close the building for two days. A big thank you to the County Council staff, the University staff and Bellrock for all the hard work they've done to ensure the Hive can reopen. It is great to see community users coming in and taking advantage of the facilities. The blaze broke out at around 6.30pm on Thursday, September the 3rd. Early investigations showed damage has been caused to the kitchens and parts of the cafe. 
There's also smoke damage in the children's library and in one of the meeting rooms, but the rest of the building is unscathed. There was a large amount of soot around the building and on the upper levels, but no damage has been caused to the archives. A clean-up operation took place over the weekend and extra safety checks were carried out ahead of the reopening on Monday. No one was injured in the fire as the building had closed at 6pm, so no staff or visitors were inside at the time. Fire crews from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service were on the scene within minutes and stayed for around four hours, making the area safe. A statement from Worcestershire County Council and the University of Worcester said, We'd like to thank Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service for all their efforts in, in attending the fire, and also our colleagues at Bellrock, who've done an amazing job, especially getting rid of large amounts of water. It is not yet known what caused the fire. Right, well this is a, a local girl makes good story. Former Home Secretary Jackie Smith has joined the Strictly Come Dancing lineup. it's been revealed. Miss Smith, who grew up in Worcestershire and is a former pupil at Malvern Link Primary School in Dyson Perrins, has been announced as taking part in the BBC flagship show later this year. The 57-year-old, a former Redditch MP who quit her job in 2009 after a porn expenses scandal, completes the line-up for the new BBC series. I was speechless with excitement at being asked to join Strictly, and that's very rare for me, she said. Fifty years ago, I got a bronze medal for Scottish Highland dancing, and it feels about time to return to dancing. I couldn't be in better hands with the Strictly team, and I'm going to throw myself into the challenge. Watch out. There had been speculation she would be appearing on the entertainment show after she remained tight-lipped when asked if she was taking part by Ben Shepherd on Good Morning Britain earlier today. She'll be competing on the show with the other contestants revealed, Caroline Quentin, Jason Bell, Max George, Ranvia Singh, Clara Ampho, Bill Bailey, JJ Chalmers, Jamie Lang, Maisie Smith, HRVY and Nicola Adams, who's set to make history on the show as the first celebrity to compete with a same-sex partner. Can't wait. Mm. New future as a restaurant closes. A businessman has been forced to shut his restaurant in Poick, but says he has plans to build something even better for the local community. Frankie Tsang, owner of Chinese restaurant The Four Seasons on the Malvern Road, said he has been forced to shut due to COVID-19 and the changes it has brought with it. However, the keen businessman has a plan to adapt to the needs of the community. Mr Tsang said, It is sad to see my restaurant close. I've been in the industry for nearly 40 years and have owned the Four Seasons for 25. We have made this difficult decision for two reasons. The first being coronavirus. The pandemic has meant less people eating out and more people getting takeaways. Due to this, and the fact our restaurant is too small to allow social distancing, we made the decision to shut. But we are still offering takeaway, and we're still relying on the local community for their support with this. The second reason for closing is for a new venture which I believe will bring the community together. I have plans to extend the restaurant and create a pocket of small shops. There is nothing like this in Poic at the moment, and I feel it could really benefit from the provisions. There's a primary school nearby, but nowhere to stop and have a coffee or grab a pint of milk. I'm hoping to create a community hub for the people of Poic. 
This is my way of adapting and taking a new direction more suitable for the times we're living in. Of course, I am sad to be saying goodbye to the restaurant. The Four Seasons is the longest-running family Chinese restaurant in Worcester. But this isn't the end, it is the beginning. Mr Sang hopes to have his shops up and running by next year. And the paper says, what do you think about his plans? Well, I wish him the very best of luck and I hope it works well for him. Right, uh, the next story is entitled Flats Appeal Fails. A plan to convert a coffin storage room at a former undertaker's into apartments will still not be allowed to go ahead after the developer failed in its bid to have a council rejection overturned. Worcester City Council rejected a plan by Fair Construction to revamp a utility and coffin storage area behind a Grade 2 listed former undertakers in St John's because both flats would be too small and views from the windows would be too restricted. Developer Fair Construction had its appeal to the government's planning inspectorate to overturn the decision rejected. The government planning inspector said the size of the flats and the lack of windows would make them enclosed and overbearing. The report added that the flats had a subterranean look, which would be harmful to anybody living in them. The inspector also said that despite a neighbouring flat being of a similar size, the council's refusal could still not be overturned. Fair Construction had argued the size of the apartments was only the same as others in the area, including 27 square metre and 33 square metre flats in Swanpool Walk, which made the below standard size insignificant. Council planning officers said the apartments, which measured 34 and 35 square metres, could not be approved because they were too small and would provide an unacceptable environment for future tenants. Planners said both apartments would have been below the national minimum size of 37 square metres for one-bedroom flats. The listed building, which dates back to the 18th century, has been empty for more than three years. The plans submitted in December last year said businesses looking to move in were put off by the large storage areas behind the shop and converting the space into apartments would make it more attractive to potential suitors. The shop and some utility space would have been kept under the plans with only minor alterations made to the modern extensions. A couple of COVID-19 stories here. The first one is about driving test frustrations. Learner drivers have been left feeling frustrated when trying to book driving tests amid the pandemic. The government's driving test booking portal only reopened on Monday, September 7th, but a message on its driver and vehicle standards agency website stated it has now closed the online booking system and will reopen it again at 8am on Monday the 14th of September. Learner driver Charlotte Leonie Newman, 32, from Castle Morton, said, It's been a nightmare. I was due to take my test in March, and I was ready to take it, and then we were locked down and I couldn't do lessons. My theory test runs out in November, and I've not been able to drive for almost six months. I've tried logging on to book, and there's been a huge queue each time, and then when I went back on, it said, closed until September the 12th. But when I try, there'll be another huge six-hour queue. John Grayson, a driving instructor for nearly 20 years and based in Worcester, said, I don't know what else can be done to speed tests along. Everything is held up at the moment in life because of this pandemic. 
I know students are grumbling about trying to book tests and having tests cancelled on them at short notice. Instructor David Wilkinson from the Malvern School of Motoring said, There's a huge backlog and many people are trying to access the website as they want to start a job or do something needing a car, so they're scrambling to book their tests. I do have one student who booked a test a couple of weeks ago who was about 300 in the queue but managed to get a date. The pandemic has caused issues with many things in life and students need need to keep practising ready for when they do manage to book a test. The rest of the message on the DVSA website stated, From Monday the 14th of September 2020, DVSA will extend the period in which tests are available from six weeks to 18 weeks ahead. This will add over 375,000 more test appointments between 14th of September and the end of January 2021. As well as making tests available to book 18 weeks ahead, DVSA plans to increase the number of car driving tests per day from five to six. Fingers crossed. Right. Uh, The next story uh, is headlined, Concerns over the cost of a memorial. Concerns have been raised about the growing cost of a new memorial to commemorate the victims of a bomb attack in the Second World War. Councillor Chris Mitchell, who is the city's armed forces champion, said he supported the idea of building a memorial in Sanctuary Park in St John's to honour the victims of the Miko bombing in 1940, but was concerned the council had gone way overboard on the spending. Councillors eventually agreed to hand over £17,000 to make sure that the park and the memorial will be built. I'm all for a memorial for war victims, and of course I would be. I'm the armed forces champion. But it does seem that from a motion at council that we are now almost doubling the cost predicted to do anything in this small park to now spending £30,000, he told councillors, during a meeting of Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee on Tuesday, September the 8th. We're putting bridging in, and none of that was discussed during the motion, to my knowledge. We were going to put a memorial plaque there, which would have been very nice, but we now seem to have gone way overboard in terms of the expenditure, and it might be brilliant, and it might be good, but it's the first time hearing of it. I haven't seen any schematics other than a little drawing, and the local members may all well be supportive of it, and trust me, if I was the local member, I probably would as well. But I'm not, and it just seems that we're spending quite a lot of money that seems to have grown from what originally came to the motion. Councillor Adrian Gregson said he was surprised by Councillor Mitchell's reaction and did not understand what the fuss was about over a scheme that would be a huge enhancement to the city. I'm not sure why Councillor Gregson would be surprised about the councillor asking a question about why we're spending money, Councillor Mitchell responded. If it's any question on my support for memorial, then he's way off mark. I'm happy to support it. I just want to understand why it had grown from what was originally proposed. The memorial will commemorate the seven people killed and 50 injured in St John's when a lone German bomber hit the old Miko works in Bromyard Road on October 3rd, 1940. A new minibus service. A new community minibus service linking the Worcestershire Parkway rail station with St Peter's Norton, Littleworth and Brockhill comes into service from today, and that's from Monday, September the 14th. Funding for Norton Juxta Kemsey Parish Council's pilot service has been provided by Witchhaven District Council through a community legacy grant 
and Worcestershire County Council has provided the bus for Worcester Wheels to operate the service for the parish county. The Dial-A-Ride service offers four round trips each weekday and it is designed to give residents regular access to shops and transport connections that have been completely lacking since the previous bus service was withdrawn. A launch event was held at the Parish Council in Littleworth on September the 4th with an inaugural trip on the bus held. A spokesman for the Parish Council said... Before coronavirus, the bus services had been in steady decline for years, recently dropping to one bus a day, and the final withdrawal was no great surprise. This service will provide much-needed connections for parish residents, both to Parkway Station and to St Peter's. Right, here's an opportunity for us all. A new BBC Two show is asking people to bring their much-loved but unused objects to be transformed into something new. The show is set to be hosted by Sabrina Grant and will start filming in autumn. It will feature expert craftspeople making the changes to give items a new lease of life so that they're actually used. Anyone who wants to take part in the show, currently being called Saved and Remade, is asked to send in their name, age, location and contact number, along with information about their item, why it's important to them and why they want to transform it. The firm is also asking for people to send in photographs of the items they want transformed. Anything big or small is welcome. Anyone interested in taking part is asked to email transform at redskyproductions.co.uk and Red Sky Productions is all one word. Sounds interesting. Mm. Questions over bridge closures. Questions have been raised about the timing of a decision to close a major city bridge for repairs during term time. Worcestershire County Council announced it would be carrying out urgent repairs to Sabrina Bridge in Worcester including removing the main part of the bridge for five weeks and replacing it. But some have queried why the bridge would be out of use at a time when it is used the most. The bridge which connects the city and the hive with the University of Worcester would be used by thousands of students and concerns have been raised the closure would lead to more cars on the road. Problems could be made worse if traffic increases next to ongoing major roadworks in St John's. Dan Brothwell, chairman of cycling campaigners Bike Worcester, said, Obviously I've got my ear to the ground a bit with cycling infrastructure and this seems to have come completely out of the blue. I've been pushing for repairs for the surface but I would question why the whole thing needs to be removed. But I guess it needs to be. I think September, October and November is when you get the most people going across the bridge. It's just very surprising. It all just seems to be a bit secretive and it only comes out when they're just about to do it. It'll be a big impact. It'll either mean more people driving, which will be terrible, or students having to walk another mile over the road bridge. Frankly, I'm amazed. I understand these things take a bit of doing, but the time to do it was July or August because the students weren't here. The plans are for the span of the bridge to be removed for a month between mid-October and mid-November, according to the council, but would be dependent on weather, with heavy rain or strong winds likely to cause disruption. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, All of our major infrastructure projects across the county are carefully planned and coordinated. We have liaised very closely with the University of Worcester on the plans for this scheme 
as we have done with various other local interested stakeholders. Councillor Richard Udall said the bridge was in desperate need of repair, but he called the timing of the repairs incredibly unfortunate. The bridge will probably be closed when it is needed most, he said. It would not have taken a great amount of forethought to do the work at a time when it was not at such maximum use. The time when everyone is returning to campus is not really a time to close the bridge. It doesn't appear that common sense is being used when deciding the times of these things. Hopefully it will be done quickly and efficiently and back open as soon as possible. Let's see, shall we? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. the title for this one, this story is Glamping Grumbles. Glamping site owners have been left reeling after a series of bad reviews from a couple who claim their safety was put at risk. Ed Walker and Charlotte Green from Yorkshire claim that the carbon monoxide and fire alarm ruined their stay at the glamping site at Manor Farm, forcing them to leave at 2am. However, owners of the site, Stefania and Tristan Bennett, say there was no safety risk and the guests have been plaguing their social media platforms with negative reviews. Mr Walker contacted the Worcester News after his stay at the campsite in St John's on Sunday. He said, It was a surprise to get away for Charlotte's birthday, so we decided to spend the night in a bell tent at the glamping site. We had a nice evening, everything was clean and nice. We settled in for the night at about 11.30. We were abruptly awoken to our fire and carbon monoxide alarm blaring at about 1am. The owner told us it may be the batteries and to put in the spare set that were kept in the tent. I did that and we went back to bed. Then the alarm went off again. It did this about three times. So I called the owner back. This time he was quite abrupt. He told me he had to be up at 4am and we should just take the batteries out and stop calling him. In the end, we left the campsite at half two and drove the two hours to my mum's. I didn't think it was worth risking our safety. Mr Walker has reported the campsite to the fire service, Worcestershire Regulatory Services and Worcestershire County Council. Both Mr Walker and Miss Green have also left bad reviews for the site. However, Mr and Mrs Bennett say bad reviews hurt their business. Mr Bennett said, These guests did have issues with the fire alarm and we tried our hardest, considering it was 2am, to rectify it for them. I established if the fire in the bell tent was still alight or smoking and he said no, it hadn't been used since the afternoon. I suggested he change the smoke detector batteries and if he was still worried, vent the tent. When he called a second time, I advised him to remove the batteries, as there is no source of gas in those tents, apart from the fire. If the fire is not lit, there can be no carbon monoxide. It just isn't possible. The alarm must have been playing up, although we do check them all before guests come to stay, as standard procedure. After the couple left, we received an email demanding a full refund, or they would leave us a bad review. We don't feel the situation required a full refund, And so they left us bad reviews on all possible platforms and wrote two each, so it sounds as though it was two different nights. It is a real shame that people can just tape to the internet nowadays and write whatever they like with impunity. Walk waterways for hospice care, 2020 style. Walkers, nature lovers and hospice supporters are being invited to join the St Richard's Hospice Waterways Walk for an 11th year, with a very 2020 take on the annual event. Rather than take part on a single day, 
walkers can choose an 11 or 22 mile route on any day in September or October. Kelly Johns, hospice fundraiser, said, Our Waterways Walk is a hugely popular event and has raised a significant amount towards the free care we provide to people across Worcestershire. So we were keen to find a way for it to go ahead whilst observing social distancing rules. Holding the event across September and October means our supporters can still enjoy a wonderful walk locally for our care, just not all at once. In the new format, registration is free and walkers can choose one of two routes, a date and time to take part to suit themselves, and we'll provide directions and a map. We also ask that people gain as much as they can in sponsorship to ensure we can continue to be there for patients and their loved ones when they need us most. With most of our events cancelled over the summer and our shops having been closed for months during lockdown, it's a really challenging time for charities like us. The 11-mile walk is a one-way route starting at Droitwich Spa Rugby Club and finishing at the Anchor at Diglis. Due to construction works on the towpath between Sixways and Tiberton this year, the 22-mile walk is a return route, which sees walkers turn around at the Anchor and head back to their starting point at Droitwich Rugby Club. To take part in Waterways Walk during September or October, register for free at strichards.org.uk slash event slash waterways dash walk dash 2020 slash. The hospice is asking participants to raise £50 or more if they can so it can continue to be there for local people when they're most in need. St Richard's Hospice cares for adults with a serious progressive illness improving their quality of life from diagnosis during treatment and to their last days. It also supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,400 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. More than 250 Malden residents and businesses have signed up to a council scheme to take on little outs across the district. Malvern Hills District Council's Adopt-A-Street scheme sees residents, community groups, businesses and other groups choose a section of street or public land and pledge to litter pick there on a regular basis. The national event, organised by Keep Britain Tidy, replaces the usual Great British Spring Clean, cancelled this year due to coronavirus. The council, council is now encouraging more people across the district to sign up ahead of the event, which runs from September the 11th to the 27th, as well as sharing and tagging the council on social media with their litter-picking efforts. Malvern Hills District Councillor John Rain said, It's wonderful to see such a positive response to the Adopt-A-Street scheme. Our aim is to work together with our volunteer litter-pickers to help make our district a cleaner and tidier place to live. We're encouraging more people to get involved ahead of the Great British September Clean and set a positive example of good citizenship and care for our environment. Hopefully clean streets will act as a deterrent against further littering. Due to coronavirus, MHDC will not be loaning out litter-picking kit to community groups, as they have done in previous years. People are instead encouraged to sign up for the Adopt-A-Street scheme at malvernhills.gov.uk. Nurses on national shortlist for three awards. 
Nurses from Worcestershire's hospitals are celebrating after being shortlisted as national finalists in three different categories for the prestigious Nursing Times Awards. The judging panel for the Nursing Times Awards 2020 published their shortlist with nursing teams from Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust in the running for three different awards. The judges chose Worcestershire's nurses as national finalists in the categories of care of older people, nursing in the community and infection prevention and control. The frailty team based at Alexandra Hospital in Redditch were chosen in the care of older people category after setting up a specialist frailty assessment unit and inpatient wards designed specifically for people living with frailty. The service provides comprehensive geriatric assessment for thousands of patients over 65, which prevents hundreds of these patients from being unnecessarily admitted to hospital each year. Worcestershire's Community Neonatal Service was chosen as a finalist in the Nursing in the Community category after the team implemented a new seven-day neonatal community outreach service in the county. Specialist nurses from Worcestershire were also shortlisted for an award for their work alongside Bangor University in the Infection, Prevention and Control category. The team worked together with university lecturers to develop a custom-made online learning course for other nurses and healthcare practitioners on infection prevention and control techniques. Chief Nurse for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, Vicky Morris, said, Receiving this acknowledgement of the innovation and excellence of our teams gives our nurses a real boost after what has been an extremely challenging year. Farewell to Pizza Branch. The Worcester branch of Pizza Hut will close after the chain named the 29 restaurants it will shut for good as part of a major restructuring. A spokeswoman for the chain said, We're doing everything we can to redeploy our team members from our Pizza Hut restaurant locations that are closing and minimise the impact to our workforce. We're therefore unable to share exact job loss numbers for each hut. We understand this is a difficult time for everyone involved and are supporting our team members as much as possible throughout this transition. It is the latest of a raft of dining chains to launch a company voluntary arrangement, CVA, restructuring deal to avoid collapse. It comes days after rival Pizza Express approved the closure of 73 of its own sites, hitting 1,100 workers. Pizza Hut said it has put forward the proposals as sales are not expected to fully bounce back until well into 2021, despite a quick and safe reopening of sites. Bosses were forced to renegotiate their rents through the CVA restructuring deal after revealing it faced significant disruption from the pandemic. The closures aim to protect about 5,000 jobs across its remaining restaurants, as well as the longevity of the business, it said. The move will not affect operations or jobs at Pizza Hut delivery or related franchises. Pizza Express also confirmed on Monday that it will shut 73 restaurants with 1,100 job losses after its own CVA 
CVA deal was approved by creditors. A spokesman said the impact of the global pandemic has meant that we have had to make some incredibly tough decisions to safeguard Pizza Express for the long term. We're committed to doing the right thing and in order to secure as many jobs as possible and continue serving our communities, we're working to reach an agreement with our creditors. We understand this is a difficult time for everyone involved. We appreciate the support of our business partners and are doing everything we can to help our team members during this process, including speaking with those affected by the consultation. And this article is about a new um, planning development up by the A4440. Work which will kickstart a huge urban extension of the city has been given the green light despite opposition. Plans for 36 homes on land next to the A4440 Southern Link Road were backed by Malvern councillors, even though concerns were raised about using a nearby road, which would be unsafe. The work is just one part of a 255-home plan between the A4440 on the edge of the city and Taylor's Lane and several other huge developments which form part of urban extensions to the west and south of Worcester. The major work also includes a massive 500 million 2,204 home supervillage between St Peter's and Kemsey and two massive plans in Lower Broadheath near Worcester which total 2,365 homes. Objecting to the plan, Kemsey Parish Council said it feared the homes would become isolated from the rest of the urban extension and said it was disappointed the plans didn't seem to connect with other plans surrounding developments. It called the plans extremely disappointing. The council also feared cars using Taylor's Lane to get onto the A38 would cause an unacceptable high risk. Councillor David Harrison, who represents Kemsey on Malvern Hills District Council, said the plans were not the best, but were acceptable. He shared the concerns of Kemsey Parish Council, but admitted most of the problems had been ironed out. Councillor Harrison also raised concerns about using Taylor's Lane, which is often used as a rat run for the often congested Southern Link Road, as it had already caused problems before a brick was even laid, bringing it to a standstill with heavy goods vehicles trying to negotiate the narrow roads in both directions. He said developer St Modwin had immediately moved in after gaining permission in principle and building a compound and ripping out hedges. The planning application has been very difficult and very time-consuming, he said. This plan is for 36 dwellings and the whole of this site for 255 and I sincerely hope that it doesn't take seven times the amount of time that we've spent on this. Developer St Modwin said the urban extension was always going to be built in stages and somebody had to put the first spade in the ground. The plan includes a mix of two to five-bedroomed homes, of which seven homes would be made available as affordable. Much of the green space would be built as part of the first phase, as well as a children's play area. Allotments would also be built in the corner of the site, near to the business park. The plan was backed by Malvern Hills District Council's planning committee at a meeting on Wednesday. Thank you, Pippa. Right. A hospital chief has told how a kidney transplant gave him the gift of life. 
Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said he received two donated kidneys and hoped his donor's family felt their loved one lived on in him. He said, The way organ donation has impacted me over the years is really quite profound. I have known it was likely I would need a kidney transplant as far back as 1993. I had a long time to come to terms with the fact that this would be something I would need. However, that was inevitably dependent on somebody giving their organ to me, either whilst they're alive or when they have sadly passed away. Mr Hopkins spoke out to mark Organ Donation Week. This year, the campaign is focusing on how the law around organ donation in England has changed. Under the opt-out system, everyone is automatically assumed to become an organ donor when they die, unless they've made it known that they do not wish to donate. To opt out, you need to register your decision, and Mr Hopkins urged people to discuss the issue with their families. Mr Hopkins said... I'm really delighted there has been a change in law. I think the conversation about organ donation and death is difficult, especially in our culture. The change to make it opt out is absolutely the right decision, but it can't be in the absence of a proper conversation about what you want to happen to your organs if you die suddenly. Telling your loved ones is crucial. It makes it easier on them to make decisions if they know your wishes. The impact organ donation has had for me is quite literally life and death. I have been given the gift of life. It won't bring back the loved one who sadly died, but I hope their family feel a sense of reassurance and pride that that person they lost lives on in me. Logistics firm DHL has said safety is paramount after confirming a city warehouse has had a case of coronavirus. It follows a whistleblower claiming there were a number of issues at the DHL warehouse at Shire Park and there had been a number of cases there, claims DHL has strongly denied. The source told the Worcester News that masks were not being worn in the warehouse, there were meant to be half-hour gaps between shifts to allow for cleaning, but the earlier shift was overlapping with the following one and there had been no temperature testing. The source added, I need to work, but I'm scared to work. Social distancing is advised but isn't happening as nobody's complying, managers included. A spokesman for DHL Supply Chain said, The safety of our colleagues and customers is paramount. Since the start of the coronavirus outbreak, we have followed strict government guidelines around social distancing with regular reinforcement by local management. As a result, to date we have had just one confirmed case at Shire Park. All staff are briefed on the importance of social distancing and the correct way to hand wash, while soap and hand sanitizers are widely available with clear instructions displayed throughout the operation. Our key priority remains the well-being of our colleagues and providing long-term employment for as many of them as possible. To this end, we are willing to subject any of our operations nationwide to independent audit to demonstrate that we're taking every step necessary in the fight against COVID-19. Right. Malvern's top dog has been revealed, being chosen from over 250 of the district's most loved pets. Margot, 
a half-working spaniel, half-Labrador, was chosen in the Malvern Mutts competition organised by Visit the Malverns. Jude and James Wilde, Margot's owners, won a hamper full of treats and dog food worth £100. Margot, named after the character from The Good Life, comes from Ashford Kennels in Shropshire and has her own Instagram page, at Margot the Cocker Door. Jude Wilde said... Margot is delighted to win the prize. She's hugely grateful to those that voted for her and will reward anyone she sees on the hills with smiles and tail wags. Councillor Sarah Rouse, portfolio holder for economic development and tourism at Malvern Hills District Council, said a big well done to Jude and James and Margot, of course, for scooping the top prize. Thank you to everyone who got involved. It's been lovely to see so many Malvern mutts enjoying our stunning scenery and sitting at our dog-friendly venues. A Worcester resident who has devoted her life to encouraging more people to volunteer has scooped £250 in the city's community lottery. Sally Allison, who runs Worcester Community Action, signed up for the community lottery when it launched just over a year ago. She said, I was keen to join the community lottery because the money goes to local organisations. I think that's one of the benefits compared to other lotteries. Worcester Community Action recruits volunteers and matches them up with local opportunities and is one of a number of charities which receives support from the lottery. Mrs Ellison added, A number of people who were previously volunteering while they were furloughed from jobs are now going back to work. That means that new opportunities are opening up for volunteers in Worcester, so now is a good time to get in touch. I'd also encourage organisations who need volunteers to contact us we're in touch with several willing and able people who are ready to give some time to support good local causes. Launched by Worcester City Council, the Worcester Community Lottery gives players the chance to sign up for entry into a weekly draw and to choose which local causes they want to benefit from their subscription. The list includes youth clubs, sports clubs, arts organisations and medical charities. Tickets cost a pound, of which 60p goes to good causes... 50p to the player's chosen good cause and 10p to a community fund. Players have a 1 in 50 chance of winning a prize up to a maximum of £25,000. Players can sign up for a subscription at worcesterlottery.org. When you register, you'll be asked to choose a local good cause to benefit from your ticket purchase or to opt to support the community fund, which Worcester City Council will then distribute to good causes. And I'll just add that Worcester Talking Newspapers is one of the charities that's up there and available to support should you decide to want to start playing the lottery. Over to you, Catherine. Right. A nuisance who made repeated 999 calls, harassed police and swore at library staff, faces jail if she carries on with her behaviour. Teresa Martindale was made subject to a three-year criminal behaviour order when she appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court yesterday, which was last week. The menace is banned from making calls to emergency services unless it is a genuine emergency and is excluded from the hive in Worcester after she swore at staff. The 59-year-old of no fixed abode made 18 calls to West Mercia Police between July the 16th and August the 1st this year, breaching a six-month conditional discharge imposed on July the 14th for similar behaviour. 
She admitted making persistent use of a public communication network to cause annoyance, anxiety and inconvenience. The CBO application was not contested. Julia Powell, representing Martindale, said, This is a desperately sad situation. The defendant was being assisted by Mag's day centre, but had been sofa surfing and fell between the mental health team and social services. Despite <clears throat> having a number of issues, she was not quite poorly enough to get the support she needed, the solicitor said. She gets desperately worked up about things. Coronavirus hasn't helped any of us, but certainly hasn't helped anyone who suffers from anxiety, said Miss Powell. She is prohibited from ringing the emergency services unless a genuine emergency, ringing police, including 101, ambulance service, including 111, or other emergency services for help, and then refusing entry or refusing to engage or ringing these services to report false or malicious incidents. From making contact directly or indirectly with Martin Cook, from entering the hive, and from behaving in any manner that causes or is likely to cause alarm, harassment or distress, including shouting and swearing at people or within public hearing, and making threats towards others. People... Police say she made new, multiple nuisance calls between August 2018 and September last year and again between October last year and January this year. A police spokesman said she had committed four public order offences, three at the Hive, where she shouted and swore at staff within hearing of members of the public. Well, that pretty much concludes the uh, general news from the last few editions of the paper. As you probably are aware, there's precious little sport being commented on at the moment, um, but we have found some sport-related articles, uh, a couple of which we have selected to read to you. And I'm starting with one about Worcester City Football Club, and the headline is Coming Home. COVID may restrict City's return, but 2,692 days after leaving St George's Lane, they're back in Worcester. City's homecoming after seven years of ground sharing away from Worcester takes place tonight when Tividale become their first opponents for a competitive match at the redeveloped Clanes Lane. But with rules stating crowds can only be 30% of the lowest capacity allowed at any club's level, only 300 supporters will be permitted for the Midland Football League Premier Division clash, less than half of what would have been expected. Club bosses had to decide how many season tickets to sell, plumping for half of the capacity for now, with Chairman Steve Good revealing that that, that had nowhere near covered the demand. We have sold 150, the most we were prepared to put on sale with the current restrictions, said Good. I would say we've had to refuse more than 100 requests for now. Once we know we can allow more in, we will talk at board level to see how many more to put on sale. We haven't gone down the route of listing the people who have asked. We don't want all of them to be sold the minute the allowance goes up. That would be unfair. The support we're getting is very positive and I have to thank everyone involved in helping to organise the season tickets in such trying circumstances, particularly Rich Widdison, who has spent a lot of hours on that side of it. Despite the restrictions and work still ongoing to complete the revamp of Clanes Lane, which will also be the new headquarters of landlords Worcestershire FA, lifelong fan Good, 
whose father George Good also chaired the clubs, sorry, the club during its heyday, feels a huge sense of pride. He said, "I'm looking forward to hearing time is tight playing while playing while watching the lads run out. That will be very emotional for me." Well, good luck to them. Actually, that match will have taken place. So I hope they won. And uh, good luck to their new home up at Clanes Lane. Mm, Over to you, yeah. Catherine. OK, so this one is entitled Anyone for Tennis. Five new tennis courts and two resurfaced courts have, been, have opened in Worcester. Tennis players can enjoy the game at Cripplegate Park and Gellivilt Park on the courts which opened yesterday, that was September the 4th, as a new inclusive coaching programme is launched in the city. The Lawn Tennis Association, Worcester City Council and its leisure operator, Freedom Leisure, joined together to open the new courts in two of the city's most popular parks. The Tennis in the Park initiative is the start of a major drive to encourage more people in the city to pick up a racket and enjoy playing tennis, becoming fitter and healthier along the way. The new courts have been made possible from support from the the LTA as part of its nationwide facility investment strategy to help get more people playing tennis in communities across the country. They have served the city a grant of 107,500 and followed up with the loan of another 107,500. The remaining costs have been met by Worcester City Council with £50,000 coming from a payment received from Worcestershire County Council as part of last year's work to raise the level of New Road, which runs alongside Cripplegate Park. Councillor James Stanley, chairman of Worcester City Council's Communities Committee, said, Worcester already has a great reputation as a sporting city, but until now tennis has been largely missing from the line-up. The significant investment we've attracted from the LTA has changed all that and I want to thank them for their commitment to our city. Councillor Lynn Denham, Vice-Chairman of the Communities Committee, said we're committed to ensuring Worcester is a healthy and active city and these new courts will create more opportunities than ever for people to take up tennis. It doesn't matter if you're a five-set champion or a complete novice. Worcester's tennis courts are now the ideal place to step up to the net. The development of the new courts is part of an extensive programme of activity being supported by the LTA as a partner in the Worcester Community Tennis Network, a collection of local partners led by the City Council that aims to use tennis as a way of getting more people active in parks, clubs, schools and community venues. And for the record, I have used the new courts in Gallivalt Park and they are lovely. Ah, yep, really yeah. nice tennis courts. So we finished with a story about an ex-rugby player and his 750-mile challenge. A former Worcester Warriors rugby player has raised more than £11,000 for charity after spending 48 hours on an exercise bike last weekend. We previously reported how Jake Abbott would be riding his exercise bike non-stop for a whole weekend inspired by his father Rodney, who's battling cancer. Over September the 4th and 5th, the former Warriors player rode to raise money for Restart Rugby, which helps provide financial, practical and emotional support to rugby players forced to retire through illness or injury. He also raised for Cancer Research UK. The 32-year-old, who's currently working as a development manager for the Rugby Players Association, said he was relieved to have finished the challenge, adding... It was amazing. There were a few highs and a few lows over the course of the 48 hours. 
Trying to stay awake was the hardest part. My family tell me I was delirious at around midnight on the Saturday. On top of that, there were knee problems and back problems, which meant I had to reduce my speed to around 15 miles per hour, meaning I managed 754 miles, around 130 short of the Land's End to John O'Groats distance. It was really special, though. Having my family, particularly my dad there with me, was amazing, and I want to thank everyone who donated and showed their support. Mr Abbott said the training regime was one of the hardest parts due to balancing his preparations on the bike with his regular day-to-day job and raising a young daughter. He said, I was doing four or five hours on the bike as well as going to work, looking after my daughter and doing CrossFit training too. I think I got a sort of Stockholm syndrome with the bike. It abused me, but I've been back on it since. Mr Abbott added that he will continue to raise money for restart and cancer research, buying a road bike for his next challenge, which will see him attempt to ride from Land's End to John O'Groats for real. In total, Mr Abbott has raised 13500 via his Just Giving page and gift aid, with donations still coming in. For more information, head to www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Riding for Rodney. Well done to him. So that concludes most of the news items for the last few days. However, I've got one small piece to add, which uh, I think you'll enjoy. The Mayor's Best of Worcester Awards is a scheme to recognise the special achievements of individuals and groups who've made a significant contribution to the well-being of the community in Worcester. Begun in 2015 by the then Mayor, Councillor Alan Amos, each year nominations are invited for those who've gone the extra mile to help others in Worcester. This year, the Worcester Talking News was nominated for the award. And guess what? We won! John Plush was there. I'm outside the Guildhall in the centre of a very noisy Worcester today where presentations of the Mayor's Best of Worcester Awards for services to the community are being made. The Mayor himself is here, along with the other judges on the panel, the Reverend Andy Todd of St Stephen's Church, Rob George, editor of the Worcester Observer, and Councillor Alan Amos, who started the scheme six years ago. I asked him what the awards are for exactly and how they got started. I realise there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of good work for other people what I call unsung heroes. They were just doing good works for others. They didn't want any recognition or any reward. Um, And I thought it was about time we did recognise them and we did reward them. So when I was mayor, we set up the first ever Best of Worcester Awards to recognise and reward people who had worked hard for others, not expecting anything back themselves. That's the essence of it. Um, Putting in time, not necessarily money, but time, uh, concern for others, trying to improve the lives of others. Um, recognising there are people who are less fortunate and doing something about it. The award was received by our very own Liz Hill. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to this. Amazing after 42 years that we've actually uh, had an acknowledgement and a reward and we really appreciate it. Thank you. I asked Liz how she felt receiving the award on behalf of the Talking News. Um, very privileged, yes. It's uh, a, a great honour, I think, to be recognised. It's a tribute also to all the volunteers, and uh, it's, it's great, wonderful, yeah. Liz Hill there, talking to John Plush, 
as she received the Mayor's Best of Worcester Award on behalf of the Worcester Talking newspaper. So we just round things off with, I'll start with the sunset and sunrise time. Today's sunrise was 6.43am and sunset 7.25pm. Birthdays for this week, we have Linda Bather on the 14th of September and Anita Gautama on the 22nd of September. And we wish you both very happy birthdays on your special day. Hope you manage to do something lovely to celebrate. And last but not least, Catherine is going to do the thought for the week. Right. And this is from Psalm 101 verses 1 to 3 I will sing of your love and justice to you O Lord I will sing praise I will be careful to lead a blameless life when will you come to me I will walk in my house with a blameless heart I will set before my eyes no vile thing the deeds of faithless men I hate they shall not cling to me thank you Catherine And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank John as recording engineer and Catherine very much for reading. And it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. And goodbye from me, Pippa. Goodbye. And now I'm going to read the obituaries. Martha Emmy Schmidt passed away peacefully at home on 30th of August, age 97. A service has already taken place. Queries to CO Jackson Family Funeral Directors, Delees, that's D-E, new word, L-Y-S, Wells Road, Malvern, Worcestershire. Telephone 01684 563 983. Niels William Wilkes of Eckington died suddenly on August the 25th, aged 73. A private family funeral service will take place at Eckington Church on Thursday, September the 17th at 2pm. No flowers by request. Donations to Midlands Air Ambulance Charity and Worcestershire Wildlife Trust may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10, 1HZ. Ronald John Andrews of Kroll passed away peacefully on August the 28th, aged 81. Private funeral, family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10, 1HZ. Barbara Russell of Fernal Heath, Worcester, passed away peacefully at Seven Heights Nursing Home, on Monday the 31st of August, aged 92. The funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Tuesday, September the 15th at 10am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, may be given to Air Ambulance. For any inquiries, please contact Co-op Funeral Care, Barnards Green, Malvern, 01684 574 733. Jean Mary Wodge sadly passed away August the 29th, age 98 years. 
service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September the 23rd at 1pm. Family flowers only, donations if desired to NSPCC may be left in the donations box or cheques sent to AV Band, St John's, 1 Malvern Road, wr 24 el Ilona Garwood-Gowers sadly passed away at home on August the 20th, aged 59. Dearly missed by her family, friends and all that knew her, she dedicated her life to the care of children. A private service will take place. Donations, if desired, to Women's Aid via the following link www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Ilona hyphen Garwood hyphen Gowers. Elizabeth Ann Pritchard passed away on August the 12th, aged 77. A funeral service for Annie will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September the 16th at 10.45am. For track and trace and numbers of attendees, please let Worcester Funeral Service know on 01905-23499. Humphrey Cooper Bladder died peacefully on the 24th of August, aged 83. A funeral service will take place at St Mary's Church, Gualford. Due to the current situation, those attending will be outside and must strictly adhere to social distancing. Family flowers only. Donations to St Richard's Hospice or the Shire Horse Society may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. For further information, please contact the family. Marion Therese Sanders, formerly of St. Joseph's Primary School, passed away peacefully on August the 27th, aged 86, a private cremation will take place. Mm-hmm. 